Hey guys, it's the second episode of New Metal March. Fuck yeah. New Metal March! New Metal March! Uh, we're doing uh, this week Limp Biscuits, Significant Other. So let's get into it. Previously mentioned, this week is Limp Biscuit's Significant Other, a song, uh, not a song, an album that is very near and dear to my heart. It's one of the albums when I think of my youth that I immediately think of, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely like we said last week. It's a place in time. Nothing makes me think of like late middle school, early high school than Limp Biscuit's Significant Other, and it'll uh, probably be the. One of the few times we talk about a number one album. Well, that doesn't surprise me. This was number one. I didn't do a whole lot of research like that because I just wanted to kind of talk about how I felt about it. Yeah. Um, but that's that doesn't surprise me. How long was it number one? I, I didn't see how long, but uh, it was number one in 1999 and part of 2000. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, man. This this album was fucking everywhere, dude. Yeah. And Fred Durst was everywhere for like two, three years, man. This this album really kind of took over pop culture consciousness for a really long time. And The, for, red, the red backwards hat, man. Yeah, dude. For, for good reason, too. Like, it was really, really good. And then, like, I'll talk about it in my closing notes a little bit, but it kind of changed this form of music forever. Yeah. So it was like a peak, but it was also the beginning of the downfall. So, yeah. Also, uh, my girlfriend wanted us to to call it flaccid dinner roll. Flaccid. That's I can deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> she was very proud of that. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like it. Flaccid dinner roll. Uh, you know the classic late '90s, early 2000s metal band. Um, but yeah. Uh, again, it's 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 something that is near and dear to me. I still remember most of the words to most of the songs. There's some songs I can just recite off the top of my head with no musical accompaniment. Um, and it's it's I just listen to the shit over and over and over and over again. It makes me think of rock rock and metal versus boy bands versus Britney and Christina. There was that whole I think I forget which video. I think it was Olympus video where uh, Fred Durst like makes fun of sitting next to Britney and Chris and Christina at a music video awards and shit like like all like all of these early two thousands things that people gave a shit about the video music awards being on TRL just sh- uh, shit like that it reminds me of the riots at Woodstock in ninety nine that Limp Bizkit started it reminds me of Kangol hats <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of just overall douchey behavior that I just fucking loved when I was like eleven twelve thirteen years old. Uh, Fred Durst was a cool motherfucker back then until I realized he's kind of a creep and kind of, uh, I don't don't know, he may have been better by now, but he wasn't a great dude. Um, but it's pretty obvious in the, in the lyrical content. Yeah. He's just kind of a, just kind of a douchey Jacksonville kid, um, who got his big break and good for him. Um, but it doesn't change my love for this album. Like it's, it's so fucking good in all of the worst ways and I can't get enough of it. So what, what are your opening thoughts on this? Uh, I knew a lot of the popular songs. Sure. I knew Nookie. I knew Break Stuff. Um, I think I've heard the Nobody Like You song. Yeah. But for the most part, I had very surface level knowledge of this album. And it was fun. But 16, it was a slog, man. Yeah, like it we, was. We talked about, you know, when we start taking our notes, it's uh, 
it's tough to get through all 16 songs and it's about an hour long. Yeah. Um, it feels like four hours when you're taking notes on it. Seriously. I did it. I did it earlier today and I was like, God damn. I just was like, by the time I got to like song 10, I was like, I don't fucking want to write anything about this song. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be done with my notes. Yeah. And um, a lot of the songs have intro or like outros to yeah. them, which I'll get to my thoughts on some of the outros. They actually add an element to the song that I really like. Yeah, me too. For the most part. So it's, it's very strange knowing how albums are made now. Albums traditionally 39 to 45 minutes long. Yep. And there's 10, 12 songs at most. Last two albums we've done, 16 songs. Yeah. Well, and it's, again, it's indicative of the time, man. That's just the way they are. The, you know, I don't think it's any secret I'm going to talk about Corn in two weeks when I do my last album for the month. And they did the same shit. It was like, back in the day, it was like 14 to 18 tracks. And that's just the way it was. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I I enjoyed it for what it was. I I get a little aggravated sometimes by the lyrical content. Yeah, it's not. There's nothing deep here. But I think the features save it. I um, would agree with that to a certain extent. Yeah, it 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 breaks up the monotony of just hearing his surface level songs. I think a lot of the the people that are featured also co write the songs, and I think it adds a fun element to the album that uh, I think otherwise it would have been lacking. Yeah. So you want to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, I'll go first with intro. Sure. That way you can have break stuff. I, yeah. I know that's what you want. Um, for song number one, it's intro. So much much like what we spoke about last week, new metal is good with these intro tracks, and it has a cool way of introducing you to the world that you're about to be thrusted into. Yeah. So I thought intro was cool, and it was short and sweet and to the point. Yep. It's, it's pretty much the same shit I said. Like it's we talked about it last week. So I beat a dead horse. It's really cool. Um, it's bold to not start off a album with music <laughs> that you came here to, to hear. But it, what it does is it trans- transports you to this little pocket dimension that you just get to experience with this album. And I think that's a really cool thing, especially the way this album does it, where it frames it with these things. Uh, yeah, you're just kind of in this little dimension with Limb Biscuit and Fred Durst and Wes Borland, and you get to just kind of be insignificant other. And that's what these intros do. And I think it's, I don't, again, it's cool. I miss, I miss shit like this. And, and, you know, it's kind of dated, but... I wouldn't mind hearing it from time to time. So yeah. Um, next, uh, next track, just like this. Uh, it's fine. I, I like the way it kind of builds into it with a little drum fill. Um, brings in the guitar solo slowly, and then you hear Fred's uh, old, instantly recognizable voice. Uh, Fred Durst is the lead singer. If you don't know. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just wrote this track is fine. Uh, what it does really well is set up the theme, the musical theme for this album, this album or this track sounds exactly what this album gives you. It's very kind of, you get the weird guitars that Wes Borland plays. You get the very hip hoppy drums that are very kind of punchy and very kind of up high. Uh, you get Fred Durst rapping a little bit. Uh, you yeah. get some DJ turntables. Yeah. It gets this, this, I don't know if there's a track on this album that doesn't have, turntables in it <laughs> which is great because they're usually just used as like a bed they're not like featured in a lot of it but they, then they do bring them forward a lot too so it, they, it, they're used in a very creative way on this album this album is produced incredibly well oh yeah uh do you remember who produced i think was it paul rubin i don't remember um, i can't remember either it's a i thought i think it was a pretty like legendary well-respected producer at the time so um but yeah heavy guitars some slow bits some yelly bits um Weird guitar noises and some hip hop bits. It's got everything you're going to hear in this album. Um, is it too long? Yeah. Do I like it? Sure. 
Uh, do I skip it pretty much every single time? Absolutely. So, <laughs> because I know what's next, and yeah. Nookie's next. Right. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the DJ turntables and the bass really carry this song. Uh, like like you said, I think it's a really good bed for what what's coming with the album, and it's a, I thought it was a great first track for the album. Um, it has good flow. Uh, it has excitement in the song. It could easily have been another song from later in the album that wouldn't have got you excited for the next like track three and four are the best one of the best two arguably on on the album. Yeah. Um, and I really like the hip hop drums, but it's a it's a follow, it's a solid first track to get you excited about the album. Yeah. And uh, we it leads us right into Nookie. Yeah, and we what's funny is I played this on random earlier, and just not without planning it, went straight from the intro to Nookie, and I liked it so much better. The transition from the intro to Nookie, a million times better. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry, really? I'll let you talk about it. Uh, Nookie, it's a catchy song about misogyny, baby. <laughs> yeah. But in 1999, that wasn't on the forefront of people's minds. This song was everywhere. Yep. I don't know. Is it about misogyny? I think it's just him being a kind of a dickhead. Like, she dumped me and hooked up with one of my homies. It's uh, all of his friends. I, <laughs> but it's fine because I did it all for the nookie, and he's... I, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't going to tear apart the lyrics too much. Yeah, it, there's nothing... Again, and this is absolutely one of those albums where you're not standing in the deep end at any point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this song was everywhere, and Suburban Dad still cranked the shit and see no problem with it. Yep. And that's me. <laughs> it's me. I'm suburban dad. <laughs> um, but he references, uh, she put my tender heart in a blender. Which Still, that's a reddit. It reminds me of Inside Out yeah. by Eve Six. Put my heart in a blender. Yeah, yeah. What was that's the lyric? Rondu. Uh, actually, I wrote it down. Want to put my my tender heart in a blender. Is Watch me spin around to a beautiful oblivion. Yeah, very close. Yeah. Uh, so I just thought... It was like one year apart. I looked out when I looked up when uh, Inside Out by Eve Six came out. It was nineteen ninety eight. So maybe it was just a clever thing that he was like, you know what? I'm gonna tender heart blender. Heart, That's pretty good. Yeah, tender and blender. It's whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I really like the uh, the like behind the scenes clip at the very end of the song where yeah. they're breaking shit. It's like, oh shit. Yeah, you know, know you know it's there. fucking coming. <laughs> but yeah, Nookie, it's fun. I I don't much care for it, but. I think it's still fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's again, this is their most well-known track outside of maybe their cover of Faith from Dollar Dollar Bill, y'all. Their first album. Um, it's it, it's it's again. It's if you've heard one song from Limp Bizkit, it's probably this. Um, I love the way this song starts out. The boom 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 boom. It just it's a really really cool riff, and then it gets into like brings the regular guitars in, and brings the drums, brings all the elements in, playing the same riff. That's something what Limp Bizkit does really well is they kind of build on something that they start with and they kind of just add elements to it. It's really, really good. Um, like, I wish this would have been the opener. And I understand, like, it... I don't know. I, like, I understand, like, me saying, like, the intro, like, is really cool and how that's contradictory. But just imagine throwing in the album and just that's the first riff you hear like oh fuck let's go we're, we're in for a ride here so I, I really think it would have been a really good just opener if they didn't want to do the whole like bring you to that little dimension kind of thing um but yeah again like you said this this song really shot limp biscuit into the stratosphere and they kind of just stayed there for the next few years and um it's it's really heavily laced with like hip-hop influences it's hyper aggressive in a lot of places um, it's basically about, yeah, it was his girlfriend fucked all of his buddies and how he doesn't really care because he was just in it for the sex too. And you know, whatever it's, it's stupid bullshit, like fake tough guy stuff. Um, 
And then he completely contradicts himself later and then no sex. Yeah, right. <laughs> it might be a different girl who fucking knows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we get a taste of Fred Durst's like lyrical flow and, you know, love it or hate it. I don't really like it. I think he's kind of poopy. Um, but it's distinct. Like nobody sounds like Fred Durst and that's yeah. rare, like in the hip hop game. Like it's, uh, again, it's not very good. So I don't know why if anybody would want to sound like Fred Durst, but it's distinctive and you know, it's Fred Durst when he's doing it. Like if he was on a track with anybody else and you heard Fred Durst come in, you're like, Oh shit, that's Fred Durst. Like that's, that's something that's saying something like even he was legit enough to get method man to come and feature on an album with him. So I don't know people liked it enough. Um, so yeah. Um, if you're done with Nookie, I'm going to move on to break stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's just dude you i think this has got to be more iconic than yeah no it absolutely it, it, after after a period of time this became way more iconic just because of what it did uh i mean this is the song that started the riots at woodstock i mean that's something that will live in infamy forever <laughs> yeah so um i mean like the crowd was getting unruly like fred was talking shit to the crowd and then they still played break stuff which is literally a song about fucking breaking stuff and hating people and wanting to rip someone's fucking face off yes and it's this just is what mosh pits were made. For, yeah, oh, like, yeah, right dude. That fucking that. It's just one of those days. It's just yeah. All right, let's go. Let's yes. fucking pe- beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> it's just ah, oh, it's so fucking good. I love this song to this day. Like I'll still crank. This is one of the few songs I'll listen at full volume with no shame. Because, and I'll sing out. It's funny because I realized when I was listening to this album and I was singing along, I still do like the Fred Durst, like hip hop hands when I'm doing it, like the Eminem hands. Like you got to you have to do that when you're singing this, like turn your palm up, shake it back and forth while you're singing the lyrics yes. or you're not singing it correctly. Um, it's 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 the perfect follow up with the aggression that is left over from Nookie um, sonically. Um and it seems like, yeah, that's how appropriately how you would react after you get over like some girl going and fucking all your friends. Like, yeah, I'm going to fucking break shit. Um, and, you know, you, you, you would want to justify ripping someone's head off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the simple riff, it's very, very simple, but it's very, very aggressive. Wes Borland's really good at that. I don't know if he wrote the guitar parts or not. I'm assuming he did. Um, but it's just great. Um, and I, I love the back end of the bridge where it's, I hope you know I pack a chainsaw. I'll skin your ass raw. <laughs> and if my day keeps going this way, I just might break your fucking face tonight. And then it's just, bam, 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 bam. it just, ah, it's so good, dude. It just, if you don't fucking punch your steering wheel while you're listening to that, you don't have a pulse. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it definitely gets the testosterone going. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, my, my dad still sends me Snapchats of him playing this, <laughs> like, on the way home from work. <laughs> it's just one of those days! <laughs> it's, it's such a good song, and I think it's, it's transcendent in that way of, like, it was so 90s, but it's still, like, a good song yeah, today. Yeah, it's, it's, sh- it's a shitty song. Let's, let's not get it twisted, but it's a great song. It's a good, angry song. Like, Oh, yeah. There's not much better but an angry song out there. I can't think of one. And it's, yeah. it's literally about being angry and breaking shit. That's all you need to know, baby. We don't need to overanalyze it. I did have something written about the controversy. Uh, there was a huge controversy with them at Woodstock '99. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome. That's exactly yeah, that's it's probably great. what they pictured when they wrote the song. I'm like, I want this song to start a fucking riot, and it did. Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah. So we can get into rearranged if yeah. you want. Go ahead, man. It's all you. Um, this is a, a much more hushed tone of a song. Um, it feels like a, a mature version of Limp Bizkit, at least instrumentally. Sure. Uh, the drummer really gets to shine here, and I think the the lyrics could have been poignant. Um, it was just like such a good groundwork for him to be able to write such a good song, and he ended up being 
about you ruin everything and you keep fucking with me. Yeah. So it's just kind of kind of immature, but I didn't really care um, for the super distorted turntable solo at the end, but I really liked it instrumentally. And then I looked up the lyrics to go along with it, and I was like, ah. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, you don't. This is not a. This is not an album you look up the lyrics for. Uh, as somebody who still knows most of them, I can tell you, it's a, <laughs> there ain't shit here. Yeah, nothing but poop and a diaper, man. <laughs> the song's called "Rearranged." By the way, I don't. I don't know. Yes, if I said we that. talked about. It. Yeah, it's rearranged. Um, are you done with that? Yeah. Cool. So, I love the fact that they slowed down here, and it's a the the clean like bass guitar the almost and i almost like that's in my mind is more of a limp biscuit sound than anything else because it comes after those two songs that i love so much and it really kind of brings you back down to earth so i really 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 associate this song as well i kind of lump it in with like my three favorite limp biscuit songs ever because it is such a good like tonal shift from the last like four songs so it's uh it's it's again it's nothing special um but it, it really does kind of bring me back to like just chilling out and vibing as like a, a, a younger boy. And uh, it's, it's again, this is what this album sounds like. When it does slower stuff, this is probably the best slow song on the album, I think. For sure, yeah. Um, but it's great that they let us catch our breath after break stuff because we fucking needed it. Like if you're fucking, you're sweating, you're panting, you're heaving, you're in your car, you're like, oh, fuck, I need to need to rearrange my life here and get to just focus on this lane I'm supposed to be in. Um, but this, I talk about Wes Borland's guitar playing here. He has a, he's a really cool, like stylistic, um, guitar player. And I think he gets a lot of that from corn. Um, both monkey and head, the lead, the guitarists for corn are really, really good at just playing atmospherically until they need to come in for the chorus and just fucking, fucking busts your gut out. So, um, he, I think yeah, there's he, a song where he references how much corn means to him. Or I think it's, 1990, a lesson learned. Maybe, yeah. Uh, show me what you got. Maybe I, I, I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, sure, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's, um, but yeah, I, I mean, Jonathan Davis is basically who, like, shot Lint Biscuit into the stratosphere. He's the one that kind of made them famous. I don't remember the exact story of whether he found them or he just kind of promoted them. But he's really kind of very much responsible for them becoming big. So, um. But yeah, it's a bit more introspective for the, um, than pretty much anything else on the album. Um, but it's the, the guitar gives it kind of this ethereal quality that I really, really like. So once it gets to the bridge, it gets a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, and it's cool. It's, it's still got that cool atmospheric feel, and this song could have been two minutes shorter. Like it doesn't need to be almost six minutes long. <laughs> it's just, it's unnecessary. Like, because yeah. once they come back from that weird kind of bridge, it just goes back to where it was. It's like, just take the bridge out. Or just take that last part out and end with the bridge. Uh, make that an outro. It's just, it doesn't need to be as long as it is. So. Yeah. Um, are you done with the rearranged? Yeah. Cool. Uh, I, I'm broke. Back again with the aggression, dude. The pow, 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 pow. It's just, it's, again, it's a simple riff. There's nothing there. It's one note, but it's played in such a cool, aggressive way that it's, it's, it's so effective. Um, and I, said the, I said the drums really stand out here with the cymbals and the toms really punctuating the silence in the verses. Um, it really kind of frames like Fred's band does him such a big favor with the way they're able to play because they make him sound so much better than he is as far as like the way that he like constructs his verses and his rhymes. It's just because he's not very good. Like if you put like you if you put Fred Durst in a studio and have him freestyle, it would sound like again poopy in a diaper. <laughs> but, but or it would sound hold on, it would sound shit. 
shit, shit, shit. Stand by. Dumb diddy dumb is what it would sound like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thing is, I like I like that part of that song. Though. <laughs> um, is that how you had it? Yeah. Well, no. I was okay. like, uh, so this song picks up the pace again, um, but it's far more aggressive. It's kind of funny. Like, I like the "Give me back my money, money." It's just, it's kind of like a goofy song. I think it was meant to be goofy because it's like about a guy trying to borrow money from Fred while he's still broke. He's like, dude, I'm fucking broke. Like, and then he goes into some dumb, tough guy bullshit. But it's like, I think it's supposed to be funny. And I think it kind of comes off that way with the way he delivers his lines. And it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a cool song. It makes me smile. It makes me giggle. Um, because everybody's been there. It's like, dude, I don't have any fucking money. Like, go away. Like, I'm not giving, I, don't, I can't even pay for my own self. So, I don't know. It's a cool song. I always, I always really enjoyed this song listening to it growing up because I, again, I thought it was funny because I didn't have shit for money back then either. So, uh, yeah, up on you, Ben. Uh, Fred Durst really hates lending people money. That's yeah. the first thing I wrote. I don't really care for this song, but I think the second half of the song is where, where it starts getting fun. Yeah. Um, that, and the outro with the, uh, the voicemails with people getting like really aggressive yeah. about getting money back. It's just kind of the perfect outro. Yeah, it's goofy. I mean, it's it's a fake it's a fake voicemail. I don't think it's real, but it's it's funny. Yeah, and I think when you stop taking this album so seriously, I think that's when you start having fun. Like this exactly. song was where I was like, okay, I'm I'm just gonna like I'm gonna turn off that little part of my brain, which is kind of what New Metal March has been for yeah, us anyway. Sure, exactly. But yeah, um, I'm broke was of weirdly where I started having fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's appropriate too. Cause like I said, it's, so, I think it's supposed to be a fun song. It's just about like, Hey, fuck you, man. <laughs> I'm not a bank. Um, the next one is nobody like you yep. featuring John Davis from corn and Scott Whelan from stone temple. Pilots. Are two of my favorites Two of my favorite vocalists ever. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorites on the album and I think it's because of the features. Uh, I think, John Davis and Scott Whelan were a nice addition to this song, and Davis's vocals added creepiness and ominousness that uh, we haven't touched yet on the album. Yeah. It's kind of been a lot of like, I'm going to fight you, you're, you're a bitch. It's very kinda. douchey up to this point. And I think they bring it down to like a, this is, this is a metal track to yes. me. And the drum solo before the breakdown had my jaw dropping. It was one of those ones where I just kept taking my finger and scrolling it back <laughs> yeah. to get to that drum solo. And I put, now we're fucking talking. Yeah. Like if I kind of wish they, those three would just make an album together and just bring, do like a mega, mega group yeah. album. That would have been a lot well, of fun. Scott's dead now. So that's R. impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, this was like the perfect song for me on yeah. this album because last song I was like not too high on, but it still had some fun elements. But this song was really where I was like, Hell yeah. This is where they really shine, I think, on the album. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree in large part. I think what really draws me to this track is that when Jonathan Davis is singing on his verses, it sounds very much, very much like a corn song. Um, those are the kind of guitars that Monkey and Head are really good at. And it's very creepy, kind of like like that's that's corn's vibe is kind of like that weird kid in high school that was into some weird shit, like the Wiccans or whatever. Yeah. If you're into Wicca now, whatever, it's on you. But in high school, it was fucking weird, and you know it. And you did it on purpose. <laughs> you fucking weird witch. Anyway, um, I can't I can't talk because I was really into corn at the time. So, um, But anyway, yeah, it's, it's really cool to hear these featured artists really put their stamp on it. It's like, we're not featured on this. This is also our song. 
So I, I really, really appreciate that. And I like the fact that even though Fred seems like an egomaniac and probably is, he had a, enough like sense to like kind of back off and let these artists kind of shine in, in the chorus and both on and then the verses as well. So um, I really I just really, really dig this track. Um, after this, I start to fall asleep. Um, but um, the one thing I wanted to end on with this, and again, I'll talk about it in a couple of weeks when I do when we do a corn album. Jonathan Davis has the best go of all time. Go! It's just so good, dude. He's it's it's uh, James Hetfield with his yeah. Nobody beats Jonathan Davis is when he's when he wants to say yell go. He's the best ever at it. So, just a little aside. Um, if you ever want to hear somebody say go really fucking awesomely, just go listen to a corn album or listen to this song. I bet there's a YouTube compilation like a thousand minutes. Well, of, there's got to be. Yeah, I mean, you think of uh, Freak on a Leash and the go in that song is just oh, what a moment in music history. But anyway, I digress. Um, are you done with nobody like yes. you? Yeah. Right. The next song is Don't Go Off Wandering, and I can't fucking help it because this song makes my mind wander. <laughs> I said the <laughs> this, same thing. What a song, strange name for a song. This song fucking sucks, dude. Um, it doesn't belong on this album. It's like we already have enough slow songs this album. Um, it should have been on an LP of B-sides. It just doesn't, it doesn't do shit for me. I mean, it's, there's, I mean, <sighs> I don't know. It, it, it seems to be on here uh, to do nothing else other than to just kind of sustain the bubble that you're in until we can get to the next track, which I really, really like. Um, but it just, it just seems unnecessary. Like it, we could have done without this track. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a cool tidbit I read about was that Serge Tankian of System of a Down was originally supposed to be in the song and he got scrapped from it. Interesting. Which I think he would have made the song a yeah. little bit more fun. Serge is awesome. Everything about Serge Tankian is awesome. I almost wanted to pick his solo album as my new metal. Dude, I fucking love his first solo album. Really? Yeah. If you want to talk about that, I'll talk about that all day, even okay. though it's not technically. I guess it could be new metal. It, whatever. Fuck it. It's our podcast. Yeah. So, th- yeah, that might, spoiler alert, that might be my album later. <laughs> yeah. um, the song is okay. It eas- They they had like a perfect spot to stop the song at t- minute two, and they were like, you know what? Nope. <laughs> Much like POD, I think the editor was like, Y2K is coming, baby. Yep. Who gives a shit? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> Nobody's going to listen to this in a year anyway. <laughs> the world won't even exist. Computers are failing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it went on for another minute 38. Um, I did I did like the scream vocals because that was the first time I heard it on, on yeah. this album. And the scream vocals was like, dang, he can do that? Yep. Like, so I guess that made it justifiable to listen to it for the rest of the song. But still at minute two, if you are happy with the song, just skip it. <laughs> yeah. Just skip, skip this song all together. And, uh, that leads us into the next song, 1999, which they spelled in the most aggravating way. Well, possible. I think I, cause I said the same shit when I looked at it, but I think there's a reason behind it and I'll, I'll get into it in a second. Okay. Um, first thing I had was the song was featured in faster the furious. The first one. Hell yeah. The buddy. trailer. Uh, it's, the song is about the end of the 20th century, um, and I think this is the most structurally cool song on the album. I love how they slow it down for the verses and speed it up and get hype as fuck for the choruses, <laughs> and then the post-chorus that leads to a scream and then back into rapping. It's like, this song is all over the place, and that's kind of why I think I like it so much, and I'm all about the erratic song structures. So yeah. I think this song structurally is probably my favorite on the album. Yeah. And then they have a, a weird outro with a lady like singing a lullaby. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it Look was. Look at me. I'm singing to you. <laughs> and you're not even listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th- this song 
was a good like snap back into yeah. okay, I'm hyped again. Yeah, man, that's that's, that's exactly my, my words exactly. My first thing I wrote was here we fucking go. Um, that you couldn't make music at the end of Millennium if you were an artist making music and you were popular. You had to have a song about 1999 because. It happens once every thousand years where you get to see the millennium flip over and everybody was fucking writing about it. And this might be my favorite song about the end of millennium. Uh, uh, what is it? Robbie Williams who has millennium. That's a cool song. Uh, it's just, you know, whatever, but this is Backstreet boys had an album called millennium. They did. They did. Everybody was talking about the millennium. That's probably the most overused word for like two or three years. Uh, cause one, it's cool. Um, but two, yeah, it was the end of a thousand year period, which is rare every thousand years. Yeah. Again, I'm just talking semantics here. I'm not talking anything. Um, but yeah, I fucking love this song, man. Um, the bass intro with the turntables and then a drum fill into a hyper-aggressive turntable intro. It's like, what the fuck are we getting into? Like, yeah. yes, let's go. Um, it's fucking 1999, man. <laughs> um, it's just... the the like The chorus is fine. It's whatever. Like... But that fucking post-chorus slash bridge where it's fucking hyper-aggressive and it's like, it's just, it goes so fucking hard, man. Don't stop. It's 1999. And just the, the drums and the, the guitar just punctuate that so fucking perfectly. And I think that's why they spelled it that way. Because if you try to sing that like as a number, you do 1999 and it's split up so you can sing it like he does in that kind of post chorus. Uh. I think that's why they wrote it that way. Other than that, probably not. It's probably just them being like, oh, well, we can't spell out full words. It's the late 90s. Um, but Everyone I spells their <laughs> song names one nine nine nine. Yeah, but if I look at it like if I you look at it while you're singing at it, singing it, it makes so much more sense. It's nineteen ninety nine, like it's just split up so perfectly, and it's uh, man, I fu- ugh, I fucking love the end of that part. Even the part before it's like where it's just nonsense lyrics. It's like you got to be down with the G Shock, fuck the glam rock, get down like Ken Sham Rock. It's just, it's just. <laughs> You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, shit. Uh, the the LFO song no, about new kids on the block. No, get out of here! It's so much, food makes me sick. So much better than that song. <laughs> yeah, but it's like nonsense cool. Where it's like, no, yeah, it totally is. It makes no fucking sense. Chinese food. What makes is the G Shock? <laughs> I mean, why are we talking about glam rock? Like that doesn't exist anymore. Hasn't for a while. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think it's get down with like Ken Shamrock or some shit like that. Yeah, Ken Shamrock was beating people's asses back then. Uh, it's just weird. I, I, nobody knows. Is they talk about the watch G-Shock? Who fucking knows? Maybe. Who knows? Um, it's just, I don't know. I love, love, love the end of that song. That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, that, it was definitely like a, there's a couple good songs going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think after Don't Go Off Wandering, we kind of get snapped back in. Yeah, for a couple, for a couple songs at least. Yeah. I think is the next one you or me? Uh, I think it's me. Yeah. Yeah. So and together now, I'm glad I got this one first because holy shit, this song fucking is awesome. It's the only pure hip hop track on the album, and I think it's it's perfectly placed where it is. Like if this was any earlier or later on the album, it would be like it would be too late or too early. This is kind of a great kind of like this is the palate cleanser on the album for me. It's like oh shit, this is completely different than everything. It still has that Limp Bizkit sound in the bed. Um, with the weird kind of wing and then like every, like, I don't know, every fourth beat or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I said, I, I think, you know, I said Break Stuff was my favorite track, but this is a very, very, very strong contender. And, you know, like I said, getting Method Man from Wu-Tang was a huge score at this point. I mean, Wu-Tang was huge at the end of the 90s, man. So getting somebody like Method to come on and like totally legitimize your album is incredible. But what it really did was just kind of expose how whack of a rapper Fred Durst is <laughs> because Method Man fucking kills this track. I don't even think he's really trying either. Like this isn't certainly isn't Method's best track, but he is so much better than Fred Durst on every single yeah. line. Yeah. And I was like, you know, to use Fred Durst's own lyric against him, doo-doo is doo-doo when it's laid out <laughs> like that. So <laughs> Dumb diddy doo-doo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just, it's cool, man. It's cool to have Wu Tang on a track because I love Wu Tang. I love Method Man. He's probably my favorite member of Wu Tang. For um, sure, I love anything you know, Takao. Like I just like love Method, Method Man, man. It's he's so fucking good. Uh, just a great fucking track. And um, one side note, um, I, I played this track before for you before, and I was like, see if you can spot the similarities. And it sounds very very similar to a Beastie Boys track featuring Q-Tip called Get It Together, which I think came out, like, like I don't know, five years before this. So I don't know if it was an homage, like, from Method Man and his producer paying an homage to a couple, like, New York rap legends where they kind of sampled the song, or it sounds very similar, at least. Um, either way, listen to both. Let me know what you think. Get It Together is a far better track to me, even though I love this track, but it's it's it, I think it stands out so much because it's on this album specifically. For sure. It, it really breaks up the, the new metal mon- yeah. monotony. And it's just a 90s rap jam that I'm going to add this to all my playlists. Yeah. Just because I really like the beat that DJ Premier put on. It might be him hijacking something from the Beastie Boys. Who knows? Um, it did sound very similar. But this is, um, sec- this is my second favorite song. Yeah, mine too. Um, just because, like you said, strictly for Method Man's contribution... Uh, the features really sh- show how bad Fred is, but I think yeah, it true. also makes the album better. Yeah, I, I think he's smart to do it. I think I think Fred is very self aware. I think he like he knows he can kind of rap, but like he also has people like Method Man come on and really leg- legitimacy. If you're egotistical, to it. you do not want one of the best rappers. Yeah, uh, certainly at the time. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but. I think uh, it really shows that we are glad that Fred Durst didn't make a rap album because yeah. it would fall flat. Um, but Method carries the song, and the at- the outro honestly sounded like Mac Miller. Sure, yeah, I could see that. Um, was it was it Fred Durst? Yeah, it's definitely Fred Durst. Okay, yeah. So he was just like, I guess he like takes on a voice when he's like rapping because it it's him like plain spoken sounded a lot more like yeah. Mac Miller, and I was like, oh shit. No, it's way too soon. It's, it's, it's not. It's not Mac Miller. Mac it's definitely like still Fred Durst. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he does kind of sound a little different at the end of the track. Now that you think about it. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know, but it definitely. I listened to it a few times. Like, come on, Dill. Don't talk yourself into it being <laughs> Mac Miller. It's not him. <laughs> but uh, the next one is called Trust Question Mark. <laughs> Trust, <laughs> trust <laughs> investors, possibly you. <laughs> um. It's very obvious we're back to Fred's soul writing credits because it gets immature again very quickly. It sure does. Um, how dare you hurt Fred's fragile ego? <laughs> I was getting a little mean at this point because I, I was, did. Yeah. <laughs> My first note is I just want this album to end. <laughs> <laughs> um, this song has a really fun chug in the in the verses, yeah. which saves it from being like an immediate skip. Um, the chorus is kind of cool. Um, 
but the pre-verse before verse three is so cringe, dude. Yeah. Calling someone dumb diddy dumb makes my body convulse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's got another cool hip hop outro though, and I love the outros on the song. And I think the songs that I don't like, the outros really stick out. Yeah. And I think it's probably a conscious thing because at least it's not got anything to do with the actual song. Yeah. So the song is a to me. Yeah, it's a skip. It's a hundred percent a skip. Um, if you're really interested, listen to it. Like I again, the the verses are cool. But man, this chorus fucking sucks in this song. Holy shit. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Um, but like 12 year old me still listens to this. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I know, I know we're coming to the end of the album and it makes my little boy heart sad. Um, but yeah, like you said, that outro, like that little shinobi style, like kind of like Japanese themed, like turntable outro is really cool to me, man. It's just, again, it's, they do a, such a good job on this album of giving you little touches just to keep you interested. Just a li- just enough of something different and something to like peek your ear. Like, Oh shit, that's cool. Um, to keep you listening. And I think that's the tricks that you have to do to make an 18 track album. I think like this, I, I think I love this album for that reason. There's a lot of little intricacies in the production that we haven't really touched on a whole lot that just kind of really catch your ear and keep you listening despite all the douchiness behind this and the very Kyle energy behind all of this. Dude, it's so Kyle. It's very Kyle. Totally it's very Kyle. monster energy. Kyle <laughs> that's punched some holes in a drywall energy for this entire album. Yeah. But there's there's a genius behind it in the production, and whoever whoever did produce this is awesome because they did a really good job in post, like post production, adding little touches here and there, and just like making sure that that like because that the outro sounds nothing like the rest of the song, but it just fits. It fits that kind of like style that this whole album has, and that's that's one thing you can say about this album is that it's very cohesive stylistically all the way through, and I think that's it's hard to do, especially for how many tracks they have. Um, for you know, for a song that I hate, like this had I had a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah. So um, next is no sex. Uh, don't care. Um, no one. <laughs> my first my first note is no one cares about sad Fred Durst. Not a single not, person on the earth cares about sad not Fred an Durst. Iota. Um, this is the breakup song nobody wanted. Um, I always, always skip this song when I listen to it and I'm not taking notes about it and I don't have to talk on a podcast about <laughs> it. Um, so it was really hard for me to listen through to it this week a few, a few times. It's just slow and whiny and uninspired. The lyrics suck. The track needs to go away. Just cut it. Like there's no, they, they, for as much as I respect like what I was just talking about, the kind of very cool stylistic touches in all of these songs. Like the, the, it sounds pretty cool. Like, I don't know. It's just, it just sucks, man. Like there's just nothing good about this song. I mean, you guys might di- disagree and that's fine. I just, at this point I'm ready for the album to be done. So, uh, it, it's like a direct contradiction of Nookie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and it's just, I, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe it's because it was so late in the album. I'm like, dude, Fuck this song. It's got uh, Alex Lewis of Stained. So that was like a cool addition. But for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. I literally, I put at the end of my notes for this. (laughs) Uh, Next one is show me what you got. Show me what you got. Uh, The song sucks in the first verse. (laughs) The chorus picks up a lot. And the second verse is okay. It's, it has just like a weird momentum to it. And I'm not sure if. I've just got Limp Biscuit fatigue, or if it's just not a great song. Yeah. 
I think this is the song where they start referencing like Cincinnati. Yeah, and it's it's literally just them listing off cities they go to. Yeah, and, and I think it would be a cool way to like end or begin a like a live set, like just like hey, we're here. This is where we've been. You know, especially in Cincinnati because we I think Cincinnati has the coolest call out on this song. He's like in Cincinnati, the girls call me daddy. I think I'm not leaving next time I'm in Cleveland. It's just his 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 flow is so whack. I yeah. think that's what kills this song. Um, but I do like that Cincinnati line. It's cool. I mean, it, as a kid growing up, and I always identified more with Cincinnati than Dayton, even though I grew up in a Dayton area code. Um, it was like, fuck yeah, dude. It's our city. Like, nobody fucking calls out Cincinnati ever. Like, yeah. I don't remember anyone ever calling out Cincinnati unless it's fucking Bootsy Collins. You know what I mean? What about Limp Bizkit coming to Dayton, Ohio and Sunoco? <laughs> How are we going to do a whole podcast without referencing that? Wait, what? You, you've never heard the thing about Limp Bizkit coming to a Sunoco and Dayton? No. <laughs> well, okay. I'll look it up while you keep talking about the song. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like I said before, it was, uh, it would be a really cool way to like get the crowd into like a stage show because it does have like a cool kind of like upbeat beginning to it. Like that, like just quick strumming of the guitar and like, it's just, it's a great, I wish they would have ended with this. I mean, I get that they were, you know, they have to do their outros and stuff because that's what new metal does. It's like, you got to do your outros. And again, I appreciate that. And I think it's really cool and well done. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a fine song. It's certainly better than the last two. I'll give it that. Um, so it never actually happened, but okay. there nine people, 9,000 people camped out of a Sunoco and on Wayne Avenue in Dayton, Ohio, <laughs> because one guy like had a viral post about Limp Bizkit coming to Sunoco and Dayton. <laughs> so, I've always heard the joke. It's like social conscience, but I, I didn't know where it came from. And that's awesome. I had no idea about that. Uh, well, uh, that'll be the album. <laughs> I'll post an album photo and I'll also post <laughs> Fred Durst <laughs> in front of a Sunoco. <laughs> um, yeah, that's incredible. So is it still me for lesson learned? Yes. Okay. So to me, I consider the next three tracks to just be one long outro. Yeah. Because that's essentially what it is. Um, and really, you don't even have to con- include the Pinfield rant as an outro, which is kind of like a bonus track to me. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know. This is something all bands they felt they needed to do back then, and it's it's a slow, weird outro um, that I'm nostalgic for, but I realize it's terrible. That's all I have to say about it. It's just kind of a nothing track that's like I two minutes long. Lyrically, it's his best song. Yeah? Just because it does have to do with something that has nothing to do with a woman or having to beat someone up. It's like, dang, I thought this fame and all this money would make me happier, and I'm sadder and lonelier than ever yeah. which i think is pretty relatable but dylan we've already established nobody cares about sad fred durst i don't like the song by any <laughs> means but i'm gonna give credit where credit's due he actually wrote a song that was a little bit grown up sure even if he probably was like this is like a joke song like i'm not really that sad yeah. i'll beat somebody up if someone <laughs> says i'm sad i don't think fred could beat anybody up. let's just no. establish that as well Dude's He's got like, a soul patch and a backwards hat. Dude's like three feet tall, too. So, <laughs> um, It's a strange last track, if you ask me, because a lot of times you want the momentum to carry you back to the first yeah. song. But here it just kind of feels like we're, we're stumbling towards the end. Yeah. And it takes us into outro featuring Les Claypool of Primus. It's a, a weird and ultimately annoying outro that digs on Backstreet Boys. And it says they have balls made of steel, but don't kick me in the nuts, though. Balls made of steel. <laughs> Which I tweeted out from our show don't before we recorded. Nuts, yeah, it's it's whatever. It, it, again, it's it, to me, I wrote it's kind of like Kong Unleashed. 
but in a worse way. Way worse. Uh, it's just because it is. It mirrors the beginning. It's like, okay, cool. I want to go back and maybe listen to the rest of the hour, like hear that cool like first four song run. Um, but at least in that album, it was like short enough to where you want to listen to it again. But yeah. at this one, it's like after track 11, <laughs> it's you're what, like, two minutes Ooh. long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys have already asked for way too much of my time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's all I had. And then we have the rant as the well. The Penfield rant, which I actually love. I mean, because if you are around my age or a little bit older, you know exactly who Matt Penfield is. He's a little bald man, fat bald man with a big, like a raspy voice. He's an OG on MTV. He was one of the original VJs. If you don't know what VJ means, it means it's not vagina. It's video jockey. That was like their play on DJ. Um, and it, for me, it was really cool to hear somebody I had grown up seeing and kind of being like not offending anybody to come onto an album that I loved talking about fake poppy bullshit and the bubblegum shit that you're hearing on the radio, which is, you know, again, listening to this album now, it's like, yeah, okay, Matt, like, yeah, this is the real shit, huh? Like, no, it isn't. This is a largely terrible album um, that I have a lot of nostalgia for. And there's some really cool touches for it. Like in the entire album, like I enjoy the album as a whole. It's individual parts are hit and miss, but the album as a whole is still really, really well regarded within my own like musical stratosphere, if yeah. you want to put it that way. Um, but yeah, hearing hearing Matt Pinfield say, you know, talk about shit like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, it's exactly how I felt at the time. I was like, yeah, fuck those people. Fuck the Backstreet Boys. Fuck NSYNC. You know, fuck all this 98 degrees. Fuck all those guys. They're little pansy boys that I don't want anything to do with. I listen to Limp Bizkit. I'm tough and cool. And I wear, I didn't wear Kangol hats, but I, I did wear like big orange, like parachute pants back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Never had Jinkos, but I, a lot of my, one of my buddies did and we both love Limp Biscuit. So it's just, it was very cool to hear somebody that I had seen growing up talking this passionately about a, a fucking album that I loved back in the day. I, like I said, I've listened to this album probably more than any other album in my life. So, Yeah. Yeah. What do you have I, about Pinfield? I, I love this rant, even though most of this album is what I would, I would not describe it as meaning something. Because <laughs> no, he, it doesn't. He says, you know, I want an album that means something. I want an album that means something. Like, <laughs> are we on the wrong album? <laughs> it makes you recheck. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, this album is different. And I think we have poked, I personally have poked a lot of fun at it. Yeah, so but I. It, it has a lot of, substantial content for you know what we listened to a lot growing up like i was seven years old when this came out but i also remember all these songs i mm-hmm. remember how big limp biscuit was and you just couldn't get enough of them and this album really sent them into the stratosphere and i can appreciate it for what it is but i also think enough time has gone by the way we can at least recognize its faults yeah yeah, I think I think yeah, I think time is a good like window back into your own nostalgia. Yeah, and I you know like I I said last week a little bit like new metal was like my first foray into like really exploring more music because until then I you know I'd listen to what I would hear on the radio with my parents and what my older brother would show me here and there, but this is like new metal is the first time I felt like it was really kind of my music. I got I really really latched onto it and it was it, this is what I identified with for a very large part of my youth. So how old how old were you when this came out? Uh, it was no at ninety eight, um, so I was eleven years old. Um, so yeah, eleven, twelve, thirteen is like 
this is this album was it, man. This yeah. and Corn, Follow the Leader, and Freak on a Leash, or no, sorry, um, Issues. Those albums were it for me, man. And it's just like that. That's so much of that sound. Really, really kind of informed like the way I looked at like music, man. And it really kind of helped expand my my. I don't know the way I looked at music. So um, I'll let you get into your closing thoughts first. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of touched on it a few minutes ago, but I, I, I enjoyed the album for what it was and I thought it was fun. I thought it was a little lengthy at times. And yeah. I think yeah. if the editor came back from his Y2Kcation and decided to edit this thing, it could have been really good. But for the most part, I thought it was really fun and I thought it was a funner version of what we did last week. Like yeah. last week was very, the album was so serious that like, this one felt like it was taking a lot more liberties and having a lot more fun. And the features really set it off. I love the method man feature. I love, you know, having the the guys from corn and stone temple pilots. Uh, it, overall, I, I had a lot of fun listening to it. And I think that's, that's worth more than I thought I would get out of a lip biscuit album. Yeah, I think that's, that's the point too. It's like, I don't think they were trying to break any like really serious, like political grounds here with this album. It was, it was, bunch of douchebags making douchebag music for douchebags and that's yeah. it <laughs> that's it's what it was and that's what it still is and i love it for it you know it's it's unabashedly itself and it doesn't apologize for being itself and i, I think you know whether you like it dislike it find it goofy whatever and as long as it doesn't apologize for being what it wants to be wholeheartedly i think that's cool uh it, it, you know and it's like I said, it's one of those things I can, one of those albums I can still blare at full volume and still kind of, kind of be embarrassed by it, but fuck them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Limp Biscuit didn't care about posers like that, so why should I? Um, and I talked, I talked about this earlier and I kind of want to like dive into it a little bit where this album was like when new metal peaked. It, new metal was never more popular than at the end of the millennium. And then this album kind of, it, it, it reached the peak of new metal. It, it shot into the stratosphere, went to number one for fuck's sake. But what it did is ruin new metal forever because what it did is it gave other bands a formula to be like, Oh shit, we can just throw a little hip hop and throw like some heavy guitars in there and we can be new metal and kind of cash in on this. And it really kind of ruined like what had corn and the Deftones had built before them. And, you know, there were bands like Slipknot, Static X, System of a Down, Mudvayne, Power Man 5 for Thousand that all tried to kind of carry on the more metal side of new metal. But it was too late at that point. There were already too many crazy towns out there that, you know, latched onto this, like the more hip hop side of it and really made it shitty. Like if you're going to do hip hop, you have to do it. You have to do it in degrees or just do full hip hop. You can't yeah. have like a mix, like it can't be equal mixes hip hop. You have to be either hip hop inspired or just do hip hop. You can't do hip hop rock, hip hop, uh, you know, country, whatever you want to do. You, it, ha- it can't be equal parts. Um, yeah. And that's what ended up taking over was like the Papa Roaches and the Crazy Towns and shit bands like that. Um, that I still listen to because it was fucking new metal and it was cool. And it was like, there's these Cali boys tatted up, um, looked like they were getting chicks and that's kind of what I wanted to do at the time too. So, um, it's sad to see though, because there were still some really good bands to come out of new metal. Like even early stained was, was really good. Yeah. Um, and like slipknot was fucking awesome, man. Static X fucking awesome. System of down fucking awesome. Mudvayne, one of my favorite, I've talked about it before. Mudvayne played one of the funniest jokes on middle America that I've ever seen where they had like happy 
and they won a Grammy for that album. And like so many middle, like middle American, like moms and dads were tricked and like, Oh, this is just, yeah, this sounds like hard, like hard rock that I like used to listen to. And then you get it. And no, <laughs> You, you, as soon as you get to dig, you're like, oh, no, this is the devil's music. <laughs> and Mudvayne was hard as fuck, dude. Yeah. Like, I, I'm almost mad that we're not going to talk about Mudvayne because, the, man, it's such a funny joke that they played on Middle America. And then, you know, Power Man 5000, too, really cool. Just like When the Stars Revolt is one of my favorite albums ever still to this day. It's just a cool, like, sci-fi, nerdy, new metal album that, you know, I can't get enough of. And, um you know, you can throw Rob Zombie. Well, Rob Zombie's not new metal, but he was in, he was popular, getting popular around that same time with Hellbilly Deluxe. So there was a lot of cool metal out at the time, and I wish new metal didn't suffer the fate that it did because there was a lot of like because you know Corn has done stuff since then, but they've never really reached the same peak that they did after Issues, and you know it's kind of sad. But I don't know. Um, it just you know there's too many posers wanting a slice of that new metal pie, and it, you know. Again, I'll always have a special place in my heart for it, especially because I grew up with it. It's like, again, it was my music. This was the, you know, it started around the time I was a kid. I got to watch it. I matured with it. You know, makes me sad. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's tough to know that that is the beginning of the end. Yeah, it's, well, it's also tough to look back and see how douchey the music you liked is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I felt, like, when we did the Jack's Mannequin one, like... Well, no, I feel bad, still feel bad for that episode. I mean, I I digged on this one probably just as hard, but you also had a lot (laughs) more, like, I don't know, you had a lot more, uh, not as much weighing on it. Sure. And I don't think I, like, took offense to it, but I also, like, I didn't see that many fallacies or problems with it as much as you did. Sure. So, um, I got a proposition for you. What's up? Also, uh, two things. Uh, we got to get the song of the week, uh, song of the show, and yes. we have to get to album for next for next week. Okay. I'm torn between Search Tank Search Tankians Elect the Dead or Slipknot's Self Titled from 1999. Because I really want to do a Slipknot. Oh. So I'll, I'll leave it in Fate's hands. Let's do Slipknot. You want to do Slipknot? We're going to do Slipknot's self-titled from 1999. Fuck yeah, dude. I was not expecting you to pick Slipknot. Let's go, dude. Um, Yeah, we're going to do three 1999 albums in a row. (laughs) Well, that's new metal. I mean, what the fuck do you want? (laughs) I I haven't listened to this whole thing through. Oh, man. This is another album I fucking played the wheels off of, dude. So I'm I'm excited to, to do a Slipknot because, honestly, it didn't even track until you said Slipknot that I was like, Hold on, Slipknot. So I went and looked it up what you're talking about. Well, yes. I mean, Slipknot has two drummers. It's turned the guy who played. There's like 11 guys in Slipknot. So, yeah, it's about as new metal as you can fucking get. I am, I'm very excited. To, <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking pumped. To dude. do a self-titled Slipknot. So that'll be our album for next week. And then uh, let's get into Song of the Show. Sure. Um, I totally forgot to add mine to the playlist. I didn't forget, though. I had my song we picked out early this week. And I'm going back to uh, Twerp because we didn't get to do a Twerp album. So I want to pick out a specific song from that album that I really like. Um, it's somewhere out there. Um, it's just got a really cool, like a very Daft Punky vibe to it. Uh, heavily vocorded. Um, but there's just a little like guitar thing before the chorus where and it's just it makes me fucking happy every time I listen to it. And it's just a cool track. So um, Twerp. Uh, somewhere, no, sorry. Yes. Somewhere out there. Um, give it a listen, smile, dance, whatever you got to do. Yeah. 
Twerp got me ready for Daft Punk. For yeah, sure. yeah, that's true. Um, my album or my song of the show is going to be One Last Cigarette by the band Camino, uh, an anthemic chorus. It has me ready where my buddies and I are going on a bachelor party this year, and my buddy sent it to me, and he was like, does this make you want to go, or does this make you ready for the bachelor party or what? And I was like, hell yes. It's like you lost your you lost your wallet, you lost everything, right. you got you got uh, two missed calls and one last cigarette. And it's just like the chorus bangs, dude. So um, we're going to put the link to our playlist for songs of the show. You can check out the ones we put on there so far. And um, yeah, next week we'll be listening to Slipknot Self-Titled. I'm very excited. Let's go. And I had a lot of fun this week, Kev. Yeah, um, me too, until I had to take my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, next week uh, will be our third installment, and uh, we're halfway through New Metal March. How do yeah. you feel? we got to decide what we're doing for April. Woo. So I, I have a good idea. After okay, the show, sick. So. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye.